Yo, yo. <laughs> Hi, what's up? This is Shelby. Guess what? It's just me today. And I'm in my place. And it is Saturday morning-ish. And my dogs are like literally humping in front of me right now. And that's like a thing that happens. I'm just setting the scene for you in case anyone cares. I was going to go on a hike. And then I was like, mm, you know what? I'd actually just rather sit here by myself in this apartment alone, finally, and drink a mimosa and record this episode. So... Get ready for the time of your life. What's up, guys? This is Shelby, and welcome to Not Your Regular Coach Podcast. So I wanted to have a little question, question sesh where I asked you guys on social media to send in questions, and I did get a lot of them. Not trying to flex, I'm just saying I'm not going to be able to answer all of them. But I wrote some down. Some of them are repetitive, so I will definitely answer those. And you know what? Let's just let's just give it a go. Okay. <clears throat> First question. This is very fitting. How are you and Tyler and Vita in blue? All right. This is like, I'm actually going to be like, we're good. Like, I'm going to tell you the truth. Basically, Tyler just smashed his car. <laughs> and okay, for anyone who doesn't know, Tyler has a 2008. Well, he did have a 2008 Subaru that was literally like we called it the hog because it sounded so loud and it was it was literally like the leather was falling apart and anytime I had to pick up clients in it they'd be like oh not the hog so I've been trying to get rid of this hog forever finally the hog got smashed and don't worry Tyler's okay it's not like a serious thing but it was totaled so he bought a new car it's used but it's much nicer Uh, But let's just say we're transitioning and we're also moving. We're staying in the same apartment complex, but we're upgrading because YOLO. And Vita and Blue are literally creepy. They're in love. She licks his ears 24-7. Side note, Blue is like low-key not eating. And it's been happening for like months. So that's kind of become a problem. But my new thing and how I know he's not, you know, one of us is that I put in cottage cheese, which is like kind of orthorexic, in his food, and then he eats it. So like, bro's not really making any sense, Um, and Vita is just living her best life. She's almost nine years old, which is crazy, and we're we're chilling, we're vibing, and like I said, we're moving. My birthday's on Wednesday, so everybody, Wednesday, September 6th, I better get like fucking gifts and balloons, and uh, uh, that's it. Birthday, Wednesday, September 6th. Write it down. All right. (laughs) How has recovery changed your relationships? I kind of grouped these all together. Why does... How has recovery changed your relationships? Who's your biggest supporter? And why did he want to recover? Okay, so let me break it down. I'm going to try to not go on a tangent like for 17 years on all these questions because I know myself and I probably will. So I'm really going to reel it back. How did recovery change my relationships? Okay, well, this is interesting because I was just talking to a girl right now who is a freshman in college and she's having a hard time adjusting. And I was like, girl, my freshman year of college was terrible, terrible. I was isolating. All I cared about was food and exercise. And I literally was depressed to the extreme and I didn't do anything. And I stayed in my room. And so, yeah, I had roommates and we were like chill and we were friends. And I mean, it was fine, but I was girl wasn't doing so good. So I think I didn't really have real relationships my freshman year of college. So after that, like looking at my friendships now, I think a couple things. 
I think they're a lot more meaningful, which I'm not just saying that to be like, they're so meaningful. I, I really think they are. And I also have a lot less friends. Um, but to me, like, that's kind of how I want it because I, even though I'm super out there and I'm literally like sharing my entire life on a podcast, I'm really bad at talking about myself, which is like ironic to people. And I guess, I guess I have social anxiety still because like I do get a little nervous that I need to act some kind of way. So I've just really found those people that I can genuinely do anything with. Like I, I literally last weekend in Palm Springs was swimming naked in a pool, which like recovery goals. Cause I, I never would have gone swimming in a pool naked in front of people in my life. Um, and I was not the only one. So it's even weirder, but it just feels good to be myself. And then as far as like romantic relationships, I mean, I've talked about this probably every single podcast, but I was in a relationship prior to Tyler. Shocking. Uh, the OGs know. And um, it was really not great. And it's not it's not just because it was like, oh, my God, I was in a terrible situation and la, la, la. It was also because I was just like not thriving. Like I wasn't there. I didn't care about anything. I didn't have any feelings. Like the sex drive just wasn't existent. There was just nothing going for me. Um, And so now looking at my relationship with Tyler, it's like so open and honest. And even last night we had like kind of a little fight, not really even a fight, but it was so different because it's not like a screaming match or like, I hate you. You did this. Like you, 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 you. It's like, hey this happened. I know that your intentions for this were good. However, this is how it came across. And then we have a conversation about it. It's like fucking therapy up in here. So I know that recovery gave me like a brain, number one. And number two, it let me explore all the other parts of my life, like my relationships, myself, what's underneath this little eating disorder, because I have come to believe and even though people some people disagree with me because I was one of those people that was like I have no issues I want to be skinny and that's it and that's the only reason I have an eating disorder come to find out it's not so I (laughs) I think that I had to get better to even explore those things and then be able to put the other situations issues into perspective to be able to heal relationships, if that makes sense. I'm trying not to get like too crazy with what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is eating disorders, in my in my opinion, don't just come out of nowhere. They come from somewhere else. And usually it is a coping mechanism, a distraction, something to make you feel better, even though it doesn't. So when you take that away and you're stripped with all your feelings, which sucks, you have to confront them eventually. Like you have to. And when you confront those feelings, you can understand why you show up in the way that you show up in relationships. Personally, something I will say, I've had attachment issues forever. Um, I'm very anxious attachment and that actually has changed a lot since I met Tyler because (laughs) no offense to anyone else, but at least in a relationship, except for maybe one other relationship, I think he's the only person in my life that's ever had secure attachment. And so I learned about that and it really helped me understand like I didn't even know I was like oh you can actually not think people hate you all the time oh you can not talk to someone for three days and it doesn't mean that they like absolutely want to kill you oh I don't have to talk like it's the anxious attachment is constantly needing somebody to like validate you or 
constantly not wanting people to be mad at you or always wanting everything to be okay when that's just not life. So I've done a lot of work on that. Um, and I wouldn't have done that without my eating disorder. So props. Also, if you guys haven't read the book Attached, you should because attachment theory was really helpful for me in my recovery. Okay. All that being said, my biggest supporter, I would say obviously right now is Tyler. And I mean, just because you recover from an eating disorder, like I said, doesn't mean you're just like mental health guru, like fucking crushing it, going through the streets like Buddha. Um, everybody in this world always has things that they're dealing with, especially when you have trauma, like that stuff doesn't just magically disappear. So Tyler is super helpful for me. Um, he's a really great sounding board and I think he's learned like way more than he ever wanted to learn about this shit. And he's definitely, definitely my biggest supporter right now, which sounds so lame, but it's true. I wanted to recover. This is kind of going off of what I just said, because literally my life was just so bad. Like I was so obsessed with obviously my body and whatever. And I was so ingrained in that, that I just like didn't notice what was going on in my life or what wasn't going on in my life. Um, I was about 25. So I've told this story before. My eating disorder kind of went in like waves. Um, started when I was 17. We had like a moment there where things were better. And then, so I was 25 and I'm like, Hmm, I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a relationship. That's not good. I have no feelings. The only thing I care about is my dog. I have no job and I kind of had a job, but it was like not a real job. And the reason for that was because like, I said, I told myself, I'm never going to be able to work a nine to five because I can't do that because I can't sit there for that long. And that's just not me. But I mean, I don't work a nine to five (laughs) and I still don't think I could do that, but it's not because of my eating disorder. It's just because I'm psycho. So I looked around and I'm like, Hey, everything is terrible. And I'm like, you know what? How do I fix my life? Hmm. I have no idea because I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I'm 25 and most of my friends are living the dream. They're still kind of in their prime twenties, like going out and having fun. And they have these jobs and like, huh? Yeah. It's not really happening for me. So like, I don't really know how to make that work. Oh, but there is this one thing that I know takes up my entire day in life. and makes me miserable. I guess maybe I still have an eating disorder. Hmm. Oh, well, I know how to change that. I know how to force myself to eat more regularly. I know how to force myself to exercise less, or I kind of took a break because I had to, because with me, like the whole, just take a minute off or like five minutes off. It doesn't work. No. So I had to like totally reset. And I was like, you know what? I need to actually find a good therapist. Like this is just girl needs help. And I found a good therapist and she was like, girl, what's your life? And I was like, I don't know, but I know that this thing is, you know, I didn't want to admit that like, this is probably the root of all my problems. But I was like, I maybe like could get a little better with things. And she was like, yeah, I I think so. Um, So I started and it's obviously not that easy. Like anyone listening who's like, oh yeah, cool. You just one day woke up and we're like, cool. Yeah, no, it was so slow. Um, But honestly, what made me want to recover was because I was miserable, miserable. So that's the truth. And I think a lot of us are miserable when we're in this state and it's like you're miserable for every single reason except for your eating disorder, right? It's like always something else. 
Of course, because nobody, nobody wants to do that. I kind of already answered this, but what is your biggest gain from recovery? So all of those things, right? Like relationships, understanding myself better. And this is so cheesy, but honestly, like genuine happiness. Because like, I don't know if I ever knew what genuine happiness was. And that doesn't mean that I'm not not happy at times or like I'm not anxious or I don't get depressed or I like... No, those things happen, but it's like the vibe and my energy (laughs) that I feel and that I give off, I hope, is just very different. And it's like things happen that would normally in the past have triggered me to just totally self-destruct. And I'm not going to tell you that I never get triggered by things anymore or not. I'm not even talking eating disorder. I'm just saying mental health. And yeah, it's, it's hard, but I like, I can think normally, like I can have a moment where I'm like, oh, this is what's happening. Like, okay, this isn't, this isn't actually happening. You're catastrophizing right now. Let's breathe. And I can regulate myself and I can come back into the present moment and I can just live my life. Whereas that was not possible before. I mean, there's so many other things, right? Like you could say going out to drink with friends and eating pizza and going on vacation, Although I will say to like surface level things, being able to go on vacation and not wake up at 3 a.m. or whatever to work out is like oh, amazing. Also, not being freezing all the time, highly recommend. That was awful. Highly, highly recommend. There's a lot more, but you know, we only got so much time here. So, ahem. All right, this one's interesting. What do you think the difference between recovered versus medically stable is? And how do you get over when the doctors tell you that you're medically stable, that you're not actually recovered? Okay. This is a huge issue, honestly, with a lot of my clients. Um, And you could say the same thing for weight restored, right? So it's like, I'm not here to shit on treatment, but some treatment is really just about weight restoration. And then that's not necessarily recovery actually it's not and so sometimes you feel like oh well i'm back at my set point or the doctor said i'm no longer dying i am okay and that can be really triggering because then you're like "Mm, cool so i'm like totally fine don't even have an eating disorder guess i'm not sick everything was a lie but it's not true because and i tell my clients this all the time i'm like girl If you didn't have an eating disorder and if you were recovered, we would not be sitting here right now having an argument over chicken. Like, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. This wouldn't even be a topic of discussion. I wouldn't even know you. We wouldn't even be having this conversation at all because I wouldn't even know you. Like, the thoughts and the behaviors and the self-deprecation and the self-hatred, like, that's not recovery. It's part of recovery because, like, there's no way to get around that. But... If you're constantly thinking or shaming yourself, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you gained 7,000 pounds or if you, whatever happened, it doesn't matter if you are the epitome of health at the doctor's office and they tell you that, which is stupid, but sometimes they say things like that. That doesn't mean you're recovered. Recovered is mental. I mean, yes, it's physical, but it's a mental illness that has physical side effects. So if I have, oh God, I'm going to like totally, if I have diabetes, okay? Oh, that's not... That's not mental. (gasps) Okay. 
you know what I mean? <laughs> I literally have had one sip of a mimosa. This is not, this is not even like, this is just real. Um, eating disorders, <clears throat> sip two, are mental illnesses. It's like drugs. So trauma, all these other things could cause addiction, right? So it's a mental illness. You're doing drugs. You have physical effects because it's not thriving with your body. It's the same thing as an eating disorder. You can get clean, but it doesn't mean that it deals with the mental stuff. So like, you gotta do that. And it's so hard. And also I think a lot of times people are like, that's too scary. I don't want to do that because I don't even want to know like what's going on in the depths of my brain. And I totally understand that. And I don't think that you have to go like full speed ahead. I literally think you just have to say, okay, I'm medically stable, which might be really triggering. However, I have to be medically stable to even be able to think straight or even talk about these things and not be in the place of like hiding in the corner doing all my behaviors. But that doesn't mean that I'm like good to go. And so I think if one of my like main beefs with treatment is that that kind of sets the precedent sometime of, okay, you're good. Like, congrats, you're at your set point. And you can't keep people in treatment for like 14 years. So yes, you, that mental stuff, what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to happen in outpatient. So don't skip that bitch. Cause I'm telling you it's hard, but it's so worth it. Um, okay. I like this one. It's a little controversial. What do you think about blind weights versus not blind weights? Okay. My opinion on this has changed. When I first started, I was like, never see your weight like why do you need to know your weight it's just a number and you there's no reason that you ever need to know it and blah 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 and I totally believe that and all honestly I didn't know my weight I don't think I knew my weight the whole time I didn't weigh myself the doctor did but I didn't look so I was like blind weight number one fan and I still think that that's helpful in some situations. I think for me, had I in recovery been seeing my weight every week or twice a week or whatever, I think that would have been detrimental for me because I think in my head, I was able to be like, okay, Shelby, like you don't actually know what's going on. So maybe it's actually not as bad as you think because you don't know. And so I was like able to keep going. Had I had known what was going on, it would have been harder. And I know for some people that's the opposite. They're like, if I don't know what's going on, I assume the worst. Um, So I still think that blind weights and I have clients that really want blind weights because they just know that it's going to interfere with their recovery. And I think that's unbelievable that they can even realize that and acknowledge that. But I've now kind of come to this thing and I think I came to this thing because I didn't weigh myself until the doctor told me what I weighed like three years ago, two and a half years ago. And I remember seeing the number and I was like, wow, (laughs) okay, this is, uh, this is new and it was hard and I was going down the whole rabbit hole of like, why do I weigh more than I ever have in my life? Meanwhile, I'm like literally 27, 28 years old and I'm comparing myself to when I was 17, 16. Like, yeah, obviously you weigh more than you did when you were 16, girl, but I didn't get it. And 
when you have an eating disorder, the weight thing gets so skewed. You don't even know like what would have happened if I didn't, what would have happened if I was just developing as a person without an eating disorder throughout my teenage and early adult life. Like what, I don't know. So I feel like it's sometimes, sometimes you need to face the facts of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where my body is. This is probably where I would be had I never gotten an eating disorder just based off of my growth chart, whatever. I don't even, I've never even seen my growth chart, but like, I just, I'm so smart. I can figure it out. And (laughs) there comes a time where you're going to see it. You're going to go to the doctor. They're going to be dumb. You're going to go to the urgent care and they're going to have no idea why you're standing backwards. And they're going to be like, that's not how we do things. You're going to go skydiving. You're going like, you will be weighed. And I think it's something that you can't avoid for the rest of your life. And I also have now come to the conclusion that it's not something you should be ashamed of. It's like, okay, yeah, that's it. Like only recently, honestly, only within the past year, I've been able to be like, yeah, this is my, like, this is normal. This is my weight range. And my weight range range hasn't changed since three years ago, but I'm just like, yeah, that, that is what it is. Like, yeah. Like, so what? Who cares? Like, yeah. And obviously that took a really long time. So I think my conclusion is there's a time and place for knowing your weight, depending on your situation, depending on if you have OCD, depending on if you like totally, totally different in every case, but I am no longer the number one fan of blind weights. Okay. Also on this real quick, someone asked, what do you think about schools and doing nutrition logs? So it, whether it's in college or high school, I had, I majored in nutrition because why not? Why wouldn't I? And we did that. We had like a lab or whatever, where it was like for a week, you record what you eat, you write down the calories, and then you record like what you do for activity and you learn your basal metabolic rate. And then you have a little math sesh and find out. Now, in college, Shelby wasn't the best, right? So for me, yeah, that was terrible. Like I was like, oh my God, my BMI. Like it just brought a lot of attention to that stuff. So yeah, what, I mean, I don't think that was helpful at all. And I can speak from high school because I also had to do this in bio, which is really weird. Like what? Um, and I didn't have an eating disorder yet. I had had bad body image. Like that was never, I don't know at a time that that wasn't, (laughs) that that was good. Um, but I, I don't think I really cared. Like I was like, yeah, whatever. I ate Cheez-Its and this is that. Like it was just numbers to me. But the teacher, do you want to know how she explained it? She was like, hey guys, if at the end of the day or at the end of the week, you have a positive number, that means you're gaining weight. If it's zero, that means you're maintaining. If it's negative, that means you're losing. So she's talking about calories in versus out. Girl's not right. Like, that's not right. That's not even true. But that shit stuck with me. And I was like, oh, because I think I was positive. I think my numbers were in the positive. So that really fucked me up because I wasn't even thinking. Like, I was just like, oh, these are numbers. I hadn't even started paying attention to calories yet. We were we were still in the innocent days. So now I'm like, huh. Okay. So, well, I don't really want to gain weight. So that means I need to really pay attention to what I'm eating and count things. And I need to really pay attention and count my exercise. So it's not like my eating disorder was born overnight from then, but that certainly didn't help. And it gave me a lot of ideas because now here I come and I know 
oh, well, calorie deficit. Like, that's not even true. That's not even true. Like, what she said, is, there's so many other factors to that. Like, also, what? It's not even that accurate. Like, what is she talking about? But she also was always like, yeah, if I look at a Hershey bar, I gain like 30 pounds. Like, it's just not good. And I remember one time she made a comment about my body when I wasn't doing good and like girl had her own issues. So no offense to her. I think she's literally like 90 years old now and I hope she's thriving. Okay. <clears throat> Do I still have fear foods? No, no, honestly, no. And does that mean that when I have days and this happens because I'm dumb and I do this to myself where I have like five challenges in a row. So let's say I wake up and it's like pancakes. We're going to pancakes with my client. Oops. I accidentally scheduled a morning snack. Okay. Now we're having ice cream or whatever it is. Okay. Now we're having lunch and it's McDonald's. Okay. And now we're having snack again and it's uh whatever. Like those days I definitely am like oh yeah this is like a lot and that thought comes into my head sometimes um or like if I'm on vacation and I'm not moving at all and I'm just drinking and eating like whatever I want like yeah I'll have thoughts of like hmm maybe you should possibly eat a vegetable or like drink some water I don't know but it doesn't affect my actions as far as like actual fear foods go no but I will I will say that it took me a long time to just be like, I want chicken tenders for dinner and order chicken tenders. Like years, I think that things got a lot better. And then there would still be things like fried. For me, it was like fried chicken, which was like one of my favorite things. And I still would like not eat that. Like that just wasn't really an option. But I would eat other things that were fear foods. And I think just like anything and just like any sort of fear food situation, it takes time. And you have to kind of ease into it and learn like, oh, I can eat chicken tenders without literally combusting. And I'd be lying if I was like, I just woke up one day and challenged everything and I was cured. Like, no. And also it takes time too, because you can do it once. So I tell my clients, we can do this once and you can never do it again. Like you can hype yourself up to go eat a cheeseburger and then in your mind be like, I'm never doing that again. So that's why you got to eat the cheeseburger continuously. Yeah. All right. How do you deal with the shame around binging? Oh, also talked about this today. I went through the ringer. Like I was with, I had all the EDs. Well, I shouldn't say I had all the EDs. I had behaviors from a lot of different eating disorders. And one of them became binging. And that was, yeah, like that was really shameful. And it was especially shameful because I had come from being like, the noticeable doesn't eat a lot girl that everyone was like, oh my God, how do you do that? I wish I could do that. To now binging up a storm. And so I felt like I was a failure and something was wrong with me and I couldn't do it anymore. And I was weak and I was hiding and I didn't want anyone to know. And I didn't even want to acknowledge that it was happening. And so, yeah, I mean, there is shame around that. I think even in treatment too, going back to that, like it's not necessarily set up perfectly for binge eating disorder. And I was telling someone today because she was telling me and she was in tears and she was like, I'm so ashamed of this. Like it's so embarrassing. And I was like, I, I get it. Like I understand that. And also it's okay. Like I think 
we put so much pressure on ourselves. It's, I can imagine being, you know, like I said, an addict or something and feeling ashamed and like you're hiding it because you're ashamed and it's taken over. But number one, you can't get the help that you need if you don't talk about it. And number two, there's, there's no such thing as being weak or losing control or like it's, again, it's a mental illness. It's, you're not, you're not weak. There's nothing wrong with you. I, I mean, I learned that and I, and that's the whole issue with binging too, is like, it's a self-hatred cycle where you just rip yourself apart and then you just keep binging because you're like, well, I already hate myself. So like, whatever. And it's just so counterproductive. I think talking to people that you trust about it is really helpful. So like finding a coach, a therapist, somebody that preferably has been through it because they'll understand and not judge as much um, is really helpful to just kind of normalize it because I I thought I was the only person in the world doing these things and I wasn't. (laughs) And I think it would have been really helpful to have somebody to talk to about it that was a safe place because people around me would sometimes say things in all parts of my eating disorder that made me feel worse about myself and more shameful and more like a bad person. And I had to start really confiding in people that understood or at least tried to understand and realize like, oh, first of all, this isn't even me. Like this isn't my personality. This isn't my core, whatever. This is just, this is my eating disorder. This is whatever's happening. This is my emotions this is like so many emotions that are coming through this way because I'm not letting myself feel them and that's not a bad thing like yeah obviously it's not ideal to 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 cope that way but we learn how to cope that way and so we can unlearn how to cope that way and there's nothing wrong with anyone at at any of these eating disorders like I understand the shame and I think society shames shames us shames the eating disorders but it's like we're just trying to do the best we can (laughs) And we got to learn. And you learn from it. You do. You learn a lot. So here I am, scholar of the year. All right. Is it possible to ever stop caring about food? And do you believe in full recovery? So I kind of already answered the caring about food thing with fear foods. I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, like, I don't think I would say I don't care. Like, if I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, I really want pizza, I'm going to get pizza. If I, the next night and like, I really want tacos, I'm going to get tacos, but just kind of like biologically, eventually I'm going to be like, I want sweet green. Like I want a salad. And that just kind of like happens. So in the sense of like, do you ever stop caring about food? No, not really. Because I think like, it's just become a thing of like, oh, I want this. Oh, I don't want that. And so I don't like have to think about it that much. It's just kind of like a it's necessary to live my life is what I should say. And in the same time, I want to like enjoy what I'm eating. And also if it's social, like there's so many things. However, does that mean, like I said, if I have 14 buckets of fried chicken in like three days that I am just like, yeah, like amazing. No, I'm not thinking that. I mean, that doesn't really happen anymore, but it, like I care about my body. I care about myself and with that sometimes there are thoughts that I'm like wow maybe I need to take better care of myself today and yeah sometimes there are thoughts of like oh this is a lot or like I just had this and now I'm having that but I really promise you 
that those thoughts just kind of eventually dissipate. Like they're there still kind of, but they're so rare. And before they were like screaming in my ears and I just had to kind of ignore it. And now I don't even really have to ignore it as much. Sometimes it comes up and I'm just like, oh, all right. And I mean, like, I'm going to be real. Sometimes it comes up and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to like get this instead of that. And then every time I do that, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't want that. And now I want this. It's just like, Shelby, you know this, like, you know this information. But I don't think that it's like fair to make it seem like everyone just is like this magical unicorn and doesn't care about anything anymore. And just like, I, I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that sends like out the right message because then it seems like there's no way that I'll ever get better is like, you know, what people think. And that's what I thought. Um, do I believe in full recovery? Yeah, but that looks different for everyone. So I think everybody can recover in a different way. And I think we have to recover in a different way because like we're so different and there's, there could be other coexisting mental illnesses or trauma or something else that is going on that you kind of got to do it a little differently and you got to find what works for you. Um, you got to find what works for you and you have to find a way to take that into your life moving forward. So like what works for me personally, who has like emotional dysregulation might not work for somebody who doesn't deal with that or somebody who's been through like a different kind of trauma. And so full recovery, I think can look different to everybody. What does that mean? It means I can't tell you. I don't, I don't know. But to me, it means that I don't let it control my life. I accept where my body wants to be. I don't act on behaviors. Even if I have a weird thought one day, if I'm having bad body image, I don't just totally tear myself apart. Um, it's something that I can notice and, and move on. And it's just not the most important thing in my life anymore. Like, when I think about it and I've really thought about it, could I even have an eating disorder again? And I'm like, I don't think I could do it because it's not worth it. Like there comes a time where things in your life are more important than how small your body is or food, exercise. It's like, you don't find those things though until you start to try and continue trying because it doesn't happen right away. So that to me would be like full recovery. It's not my number one priority. Do I care about the way I look? Yeah. Am I going to literally like ruin my life and my health and my relationships for it? No, I, I can't. Like I can't. It's like a mental block. I can't even picture that. And before it was opposite. Like I couldn't even picture that not being my first priority. That takes a long time. I don't want everyone to think that you just wake up one day. I've said this 3000 times and you're like good to go. It takes a long time to get to that place but to me that is what full recovery is all right last questions how do you know that you're ready for intuitive eating oh man okay so i think meal plans are important because when you have an eating disorder you forget how to eat and you don't know what that looks like and it is very confusing i think meal plans really help with that I think they get you back onto like a normal schedule. They get your body back to understanding what a schedule even is. And I think that they also 
aren't necessary forever because that also can become kind of like a restrictive, obsessive, compulsive type thing if you are never able to let go of your meal plan. I think you know you're ready. And this is kind of what I've seen with my clients. It kind of just happens. Like, I don't think there's a day that we have like a celebration where we're like, oh my God, you're ready for intuitive eating. I think it just kind of happens. I think you start to let yourself go out more. I think you start to let yourself eat with people more. I think you realize when you're at a family gathering or a party or whatever, and there's pizza and you're like, oh, that doesn't fit my meal plan. But like, whatever, I'm just going to eat it anyways. I think those little things start to build up and you're like, oh, I actually don't need to count every single little thing because I can start to trust myself. I can start to trust myself to eat pizza if it's there. I can trust myself to go without a morning snack because I'm doing a presentation, but then later in the afternoon have like a bigger afternoon snack. It's it's those like little flexibilities that start to happen and eventually just kind of like the meal plan just goes away. It's hard when people are like, I've been on a meal plan for 13 months. So like, I think I'm ready now. It, it doesn't really work like that. Like you don't just like switch. You're not just like burning your meal plan in the fire pit and then like running over and doing whatever you want. That doesn't happen. It, like I would really say that it starts slowly in those like little in between areas. And then eventually, like, you know, like you just know. It's like when people are like, you'll find the one and you just know, like you just kind of know. That's uh, just not really good advice, but it's true. How do you know that you're ready for movement again? I was like, what is everyone talking about? Because when I asked that question, everyone would be like, it's when you want to work out because you love yourself. And I'm like, okay, but I like don't, like I have a lot of other issues. Like, I don't know if I, like, do I love myself? Because I don't know. I just kind of want to like go on a hike. Um, You can overthink that and be like, am I going on a hike because I like the outdoors? Am I going on a hike because I want to burn calories? Well, I did have this thing yesterday and it kind of stressed me out. So like, I don't know. So that was really confusing to me personally when everyone was like, you find things that you love. However, on that note, one of the things I used to force myself to do, I don't mean to be triggering. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry if this is triggering. I used to make myself run like all the time. I hate running. I hate running. Hate. And I hated it before my eating disorder and I hate it now. Hate. Okay. But I made myself do it every day. Why? I don't know. I probably read in some blog that it was like the best thing to do, whatever. And... I don't run anymore because I hate it. And if I have the choice of like go on a run or don't do anything, I choose don't do anything. I found that I really love cycle. So I teach cycle and there's a lot of reasons for that. I love the music and all the things. I love to perform and be in front of everyone as we all know. I really like boxing. I've discovered I don't like going to the gym and just lifting weights because that is like PTSD and also what am I even doing and I I don't like it but other people love it so it's like finding you do find things that you actually look forward to if you have if you're like exercising and you're like oh my god I can't I don't want to wake up and do this this is awful but you force yourself to do it that's you're probably not intuitively moving and like I said for me I had to take a little break like a little hiatus from my exercise because it was so out of control that I don't think that me saying take 10 minutes off of your routine and just hope for the best would have worked. I think I might have been able to do that. The issue is that then the new obsessive, like the new compulsion would have been just 10 minutes less and we would have kept going there for a really long time. So to me, it was like an extreme exposure to just not move. And it wasn't like a really long time. It was maybe like a month. And then I started bringing things back in slowly. So 
like bar class or Pilates or something like that. And I started to be like, okay, hate bar, hate Pilates. Actually, I don't, I actually like them. Um, hate running, hate this. And I really love this. I, like, I really look forward to going to this class. I really look forward to the soul cycle, whatever. And that's the difference, I guess. And then also being able to be okay with not doing it or your schedule getting messed up. So like today I had this whole plan. I was like, yeah, guys, we're going on a hike. Like me and the dogs, Tyler's golfing. We're going to go crush the world. And then I just woke up and I was like, uh, you know what I haven't done in a long time? Nothing. I think I'm going to do that. That would have never happened before. I would have forced myself to do it. Now in recovery, when you're in the process of recovery, you're probably not going to have many of those moments. I think, you know, you're ready to start exercising again when you can rationalize with yourself. Like, okay. I'm going to go on a hike and I'm going to pick a hike that isn't the hardest thing in the entire planet. And I'm going to pick something that's uncomfortable for me because it's not enough, too easy, whatever. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to come home and that's it. It's hard. This is just one example. It could be anything. It could be yoga class, could be anything. It's hard. But then you come home and you're like, all right, I did that. That's exercise. That counts. And I'm going to go about my day. I'm not going to sit here and literally want to like slash my eyes out. I'm not going to sit here and think about this 24-7. I'm not going to think about how I'm going to restrict. I'm not going to think about how can I get more steps. Like I'm just going to go bowling. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's a weird example. But you know what I mean? It's just kind of like you just kind of it's like the same thing as like your body and food. Like it's just not the most important thing. You don't put that as in front of everything else. If your friends ask you to go to the beach, you don't say no because you have a planned gym day. It's like you're able to be flexible. And personally, I had to take a little break because if I didn't, I don't know if that would have happened. I think I was just too scared. And the break doesn't have to be like bed rest. The break can be bringing your dog around the block. The break could be doing yoga in your room, but not like insane yoga for 300 hours. It's like a reset. And I think that when you're ready, you know. And if you don't know, you'll start. And then you'll be like, okay, we're right back in it right now. And then you're not ready, right? So then you just kind of like take it down or, or stop again for a bit. Um... Wow, I'm really proud of myself because I only had half of my mimosa. So good. Otherwise, uh, I hope this podcast was helpful. I'm probably going to continue not doing anything because that sounds really good to me. And I hope that you have a great week. <laughs>